like to start just by expressing my appreciation and gratitude for the opportunity to to be at a Bayagiri monastery. This is uh, a place that is uh, incredibly precious to me. And um, just the warm welcome that I always receive when I come here and, and um, the immediate permission that I've always received when I've made a request to come uh, spaciousness, you know, yeah. Oftentimes I'm not quite sure exactly when I'm going to be here and people are just so accommodating and so the, the whole community, not just the resident community but also the guests and, and people who are who come here frequently. It's, it's uh, lovely to be here. So. So I've obviously been invited to offer the Dhamma reflection this evening, so um, please just take it as that. This is just a reflection. This is um, just share, um, share some words um, according to you know, how I understand things at this moment in time and also in response to um, things I've just been hearing here. So just just two or three hours ago at tea time, I sat in on the, the Q&A also yesterday. And also, you know, hearing, hearing the questions that are being asked, um, where, people, where people's interests are, where their um, focus is, also just in, in conversations with the resident community, in short conversations, long conversations, just um, so that I can, you know, hopefully, hopefully say something that, that uh, could potentially be uh, useful for someone, but uh, the, as I said, this is a reflection. The Buddha Dhamma is, can feel quite vast, can feel, sometimes can seem quite um, you know, almost daunting to try and, try and understand and, and uh, then we also have the varying um, opinions about it, presentations of it. And it can sometimes be confusing. You might hear uh, somebody say one thing or somebody say something differently speaking on the same topic. Uh, maybe somebody using different translation of a, of a Pali scriptural word. And uh, we have an opportunity right there to either be um, confused by it or take it as an opportunity, uh, to use that as an opportunity. Because if we if we get overly absorbed uh, in trying to figure everything out intellectually and try and square it up with with maybe other um, other traditions of of Buddhist practice, Buddhist uh, Buddhism, 
or squared up with different lineages of Theravada Buddhism or different teachers within the same lineage, um, yeah, it can it can seem um, well. As I said a minute ago, it can get a bit confusing. Or uh, using that word I uh, I just said opportunity, we can use that opportunity to to expand and to, to think. Okay, well, there there somebody's referring to something differently, but. Um, I can use that for reflection. So and, uh, for those of us who are familiar with the, the Pali Canon, uh, the Buddha, as, it, as it's handed down to us uh, in the translations and, and um, well, in the Pali originally, uh, the Buddha used, uh, in some cases, in many cases, many, many different words uh, to, to reference the same thing. And so it's a many facets uh, that, that could be used to point to the same thing. So instead of us trying to, to define, uh, to find a, a definitive teaching or a definitive understanding of the teaching can, uh, can actually lead to, to dukkha uh, quite easily. And then if we get stuck on that, we can start, um, when we get into conversations, maybe get into uh, debates, uh, get into fixed views, get into um, things, mind states that are not helpful, that we end up, I feel, uh, in my opinion, missing the point, missing the point of practice. If we end up uh, caught up in the in the intellectual side of things, however, it's not that we shouldn't we should ignore uh, intellectual understanding of Buddha Dhamma. It's I feel it's fundamental. Now this word fundamental, foundational. We need a solid foundation. So I was reflecting this evening while we were sitting, that, you know, this building, it has a very, very solid foundation. I, was, I would come and go over the years while this building was being built, as, as many of us, either living here or living locally or visiting, saw the foundations were, were put in uh, very carefully, very strong. Uh, this is earthquake country. These are big foundations, solid. And then the building got, you know, the, the more uh, uh, or less solid bits got put on top. And the things that look maybe uh, for most of us more interesting is uh, the foundations, they were because of the, the nature of the building projects, the, the foundations were there for a long time, uh, some years as I remember uh, just uh, uh, without any work being done. And, you know, as foundations went, they were pretty handsome foundations, but not particularly interesting. Not like this hall. You know, you see, you know, it's beautiful wood, and beautiful Buddha images that are inspiring, uh, very suitable space. But without a foundation, this wouldn't be here. So if we just 
focus on this this room here and take care of it and ignore the foundation. Let's say, you know, you have a wet winter. Maybe there's some water undercutting your foundation. Uh, before long, before too many years, you have a building collapse because you haven't looked after the foundation. You focus on the externals or the the, the things that are that that more catch our attention. So I think you probably figured out where I'm going with this. Is that this is the way I, I really um, relate to practice? Is that to to not no matter um, how interesting you know this the, it can get intellectually. You know we can you know like the library here again speaking about this building just down underneath this building. On the, the the lower floor is this magnificent library. You know, I and uh, I haven't looked in there recently, but if it's like it was before, all the different traditions and uh, books on also other faiths, other spiritual traditions are represented. And so there's a lot, a lot that we can get absorbed into. But we should keep keep an eye on the on the foundation, look after the foundation. And oftentimes our, our, our dear elders are um, often, uh, they'll offer a, uh, a Dhamma reflection like this, encouraging us to, to go back to basics, to, to go back to the foundations. And the reason uh, that that's done is that often maybe they're picking up on the fact that, you know, we are straying we are straying from the foundations. So I would suggest that we, instead of having to be pulled back to the foundations, that we never stray. And so keeping the, the, the root teachings, the, the, heart, the heart teachings, or the heart of the teachings in mind, keeping it simple. This is a refrain that uh, Teachers that I've been associated with will often say, you know, that keep it simple. Don't let ourselves get drawn drawn outside of the the yeah those root teachings. To understand them intellectually enough that we can use them for what I feel, what I understand they were meant for, and that is for reflection. You know, using the, you know, it's not you know, just, oh, the Four Noble Truths, you know, that was, that's the first teaching this, that was handed down to us, and and uh, then move on. No, and really, really internalize so that, that our view, our view of experiences through the lenses of of the Four Noble Truths. And we've all heard this before. I'm, I'm not going to be saying anything this evening that hasn't been that been said. Uh, these are just reminding our, ourselves, and I'm fully including myself in this. Do not lose sight. So, not lose sight of of, of what practice is for. And so. But then that can get a bit tricky because if we have an idea 
or whatever idea we have of of what the practice is for that if that's if that's fixed because this is where a lot of us uh, and I, certainly I include myself when I say this a lot of us have had a lot of challenges is that we think we know what the results should be and we can we can think oh I mean how many times have I I know in my first years oh my practice is not going well my practice is no good it's not it's not working and how many people have I say have heard say that say after after a long time and I'm I'm not differentiating between you know whether somebody in lay life or somebody who's taken up monastic life just using the word people intentionally because it's yeah, I've heard it in, in both settings oh I haven't achieved so well then I ask the question well what what should have been achieved how do we measure that and so if, if we become fixated on what's, what we've read, what we've heard, what we see, or what we, and the way we interpret what we see, maybe we see uh, somebody and we think, you know, oh, wow, they, their, practice, their practice is really working because of us interpreting how, how they look, how they act, and that's fair enough. And then, uh, but we can also interpret, oh, well, uh, that that person's been practicing. I've heard they've been practicing thirty years, and they don't they don't look like they're benefiting. And I would suggest that we be very careful with both of those, because freedom or non-freedom, this is an experience of the heart and mind. And um, I mean, unless we're yeah, unless we can read somebody's heart and mind, and I certainly can't. Uh, and I don't want to actually. You know, we need to be very, very cautious how we we interpret it, interpret other people, um, and their their inner world. And really, what's our inner world? What's our experience? Because that's where liberation is. And sometimes it's been been uh, said that oh that sounds selfish you know looking after our own our own inner inner world to if if it's uh, considered you know, too much focused on ourselves but I think for all of us who have experienced uh, the opportunity to spend time with people who are really at peace then we we see the benefits that we we can experience from being near them so it's not a selfish act to i feel you know to develop stability discernment calm and that is shared, that is shared. But as I was reflecting a few moments ago, yeah, to not, just because somebody maybe uh, is, is, you might, we might feel is an, 
uh, you know, a practitioner who we don't think they look calm, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge that. How are we judging practice? How are we judging the results? Uh, a lot of, a lot of um, focus uh, is often I hear on uh, the term samadhi, this poly, poly scriptural term that you know, I think most of us are familiar with. Samadhi, it's got various uh, translations, and I'm not going to try and define, but uh, most common, I suppose, is concentration, but uh, more and more of, of uh, at least the, the Dhamma practitioners that I've been listening to over the last many, many years now are um, using other terms, more of a collectedness, settledness, So if we judge our practice by, oh, my samadhi, I mean, I hear this a lot, you know, oh, my samadhi, I don't have samadhi. Or I know I, I turned up at one monastery years ago in another country and, and somebody came up and said, how's your samadhi? <laughs> I was like, none of your business, <laughs> you know. I didn't say that, but I was just, I was kind of taken aback, you know, sort of. Where was that? I mean, I'd, I'd only just met this person, you know. What's, how's your samadhi? So I didn't really answer because I thought, well, is that going to help that person? And also, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't think about it. I don't think about how my samadhi is. These are tools. Samadhi is a at least the way I practice and the way I understand it is it. Uh, these the practice uh, practice is a flow. It's a, these are tools to be used. Dhamma practice. And so to use collectedness, to use calm, to use clarity. To be able to see what the heart and mind are doing. What is it we're experiencing? So then maybe we've read, oh, you know, about you know the bliss of this or the happiness of that. And this is, you know, these are <coughs> hopefully correct translations. Uh, but there's other ways of looking at it. Because if we're looking for happiness, if happiness is our measure of, of our uh, Dhamma practice uh, uh, is it what happens when something uh, comes our way that is unhappy when unhappiness lands so this evening we we chanted um, the the funeral the funeral chanting for Daniel uh, Fry uh, and, you know it's sadness and sadness of hearing of his passing profound sadness So if our Dhamma practice is going really well, does that mean we don't feel? Is, is, uh, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Does that make us inhuman? I mean, even in the, you know, when we read the suttas, at least the way I read them and the way I understand them, and, and my teachers have 
reflected on is that, you know, uh, yeah, the Buddha experienced unhappy situations. He wouldn't have been happy to hear certain things or experience certain things. And yet what we're, what we're handed down is that there was this steadiness, this discernment, panya, wisdom, this non-clinging, non-grasping, non-suffering. But if we're, here again, if we, just to repeat, if we pick up on the word happiness, or any, any, any of these terms and hold on to them, cling to them, grasp them, and then we try to measure it against our own experience. It's natural. It's natural that we do this. And in some cases, to a certain degree, it might be useful. But this uh, having a, a, an idea, expectations are, are at least to my own uh, life, expectations are a great big seed for disappointment and suffering. To expect something, whether it's positive or negative or 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 neutral, I mean, just to have a, even a just an expectation that's clung to, doesn't mean that we should completely, you know never ever ever have an expectation of something but it, when we hold to that and I just remembered you know when I when I asked to come here 21 years ago uh, to be considered to take up the training uh, the Anagarika training and I was I was living in England and I wrote to Ajahn Basno, Ajahn Ajahnamro, it was when they were still co-abbots, and I got back, uh, I, I emailed them, and I got back an email, and, and uh, Lumpur Pisano, he replied, and, and um, the way I remember it is that he, he wrote back, he said, yes, we, you can, we have a place to come and uh, stay as a guest and see how it goes, see if, if, it, if it's suitable uh, to take the training, and he said, um, you know, you've, you've been around the Sangha for a long time, you know, both in England and, and here. You've been around the monastery for, you know, considerable time. And uh, he says, so whatever you think it's going to be like coming here, it's not going to be like that. Whatever you think it's going to be like, it won't be. And so I've, I remember those words. I really reflected on that and I've, I've applied that to every significant change or, or uh, major experience in particular but also that to keep that, that open heart so if we place expectations on our practice oh I've been practicing so long I should have achieved this or they should have achieved that or what are we looking for? What are we expecting? So we create these images. We we uh, we set things up in our mind according to to what we've seen or heard or experienced. But in particular, this these ideas of 
what good result is. Oh, I'm not happy all the time. Well, <laughs> how can we be happy all the time? But can we be content? So, contentment. So, at ease with the way things are. To be, to be at ease. To be at peace with the way things are. To be at peace when things are not peaceful. What if things are all going, going wrong? Sometimes just causes and conditions. Things are not going the way we want. We all know that. But can we be at ease? You know, it doesn't mean we just, you know, throw our arms back and take our hands off the steering wheel. No. You know, just, you know, we can shape things. We can, you know, put in effort, put in right effort, wholesome effort uh, to steer things in a good way. But there's only so much that we can do. So if we're just trying to make things uh, the way we want them, the way we that suit us, our preferences, fulfill all of that, get our, our quote-unquote our practice. If we, I think, overly objectify our practice, you know, I feel that sometimes we, we turn it too much into a thing, my practice. I tend to, when I catch myself doing that, I try to, to try and loosen that up and say, I'm practicing, turn it into a verb instead of a noun. A verb, so it's a, it's, a, it's a flow, it's action, it's responsive, using the foundational teachings, never losing sight of, of, of you know, the, the, the real foundational practices, developing, developing mindfulness, utilizing mindfulness, but not measuring it, oh, I'm not mindful enough. That's, uh, that's fixed on, on something which is typically not helpful. But keep practicing doesn't mean stop practicing. You know, like this evening we sat for however long it was. And um, by the way, is there a clock anywhere? Just so I don't... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so we, we meditate. The precepts this evening, the opportunity for, for the lay community to re establish themselves in the eight precepts this evening. But, you know, really utilizing, this is, um, you know, it's not just sort of, to me, I, I, I just, and I'm sorry if I'm saying something that people don't want to hear, but I don't consider precepts, it is optional, but <laughs> I just, in my own life, I don't consider it optional because it's just so, I'll use, I'll use that word again that I've used more than a half a dozen times. It's, to me, it's just so foundational. You know, talk about stress reduction, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that this, this, uh, this practices of mindfulness-based stress reduction and, and related practices have, have spread around the world. But 
I also like to reflect that if we want to, to reduce stress, just, just living by the five precepts, eight precepts, whatever precepts we're living by, I mean, <laughs> yeah. stress, that'll reduce stress. Yeah. Not seeing it as, as, a, as a part from practice, but it's, 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 one of the, it's, it's one of the legs of the chair. You know, if you have a, a chair that's supposed to be four legs and it's, and it's only got three, it's going to fall over. It's like a friend of mine the other day, Dhamma friend, um, we got together down near my mother's house. He came over from the city. We went out for a lovely long walk talking Dhamma. And I can't remember what his question was, but... Um, I think it was just around, you know, oh yeah, it was around communal harmony, you know, in particular around in, in monastic com community. And we were talking about the different, you know, um, different people, you know, like, and in, in Europe, our monastery, especially in Britain, where I live, wow, I mean, I don't know how many different nationalities we have now in the monastery, at least eight or nine. Um, Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's as many as 12 or 13 different nationalities and uh, really different conditioning, really different, um, you know, ages, you know, everything from people in their 20s to people in their 80s. And uh, this, this friend of mine asked, you know, how, how is, com you know, communal harmony maintained? With all those that diversity, and my immediate answer was, you know, because our the 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 commonality is is apart from being a human being, which is obvious, but our our common common shared um, focus there is dhamma vinya, so dhamma being the, the teachings, yeah, the way I was referring to it then, dhamma teachings, and vinya as in the, the precepts. So not, not trying to line up our cultural conditioning, not trying to, to line up, you know, how we view things according to our, you know, what, what era we were born in, are we boomers, are we Gen Z, or I don't know what the, what the different ones are. I can't keep track. Not getting caught up in that, just recognizing, acknowledging, respecting. You know, as long as people's, if, if our behavior is in line with Dhamma Vinaya, and then diversity is, can be incredibly useful. Now going back to the theme of, of practice, I would suggest that we be, uh, well, I'll use a word, another word that I've used this evening, be circumspect about the variety of practices that we that we pick up, not to not to um, shy away, but to just be circumspect, to be attentive to how much and how diverse, because it can it can spin us out if we you know it's it can become too much, too diverse, too con uh, we can confuse ourselves and. You know, listening to to elders, uh, 
that I've I've had the the privilege to to spend time with over these years. And it's it's interesting because at least my perception is it they keep it really simple. Yeah. And many of them have shared the the years of complexity, shared the you know, their experimentation or or you know the diversity that that, that they uh, followed and uh, and maybe that's what helped them you know or helped lead them back to simplicity we have a strong foundation if we understand how to use these teachings, how to use the practices that have been made available to us, that are available to us. And I would suggest also to not divide, uh, division, to overly, uh, or to cling to divisions and differences I find uh, in my own life has has led to to a lot of stress and I'm using um, that translation of dukkha uh, when I use the word stress right now Uh, to divide up when I'm practicing and when I'm not practicing so for me to say uh, for instance you know I've been staying with my family Uh, my mother she's 93 years old came out to visit her and my brother. So if I consider that non-practice, then I would be having the perception of I'm, I'm not practicing enough. Or if I consider having to leave the monastery, you know, I have to go to London on, on monastic business or to attend something. So is that non-practice? Is it practice when I'm in the monastery? Is retreat practice and non-retreat not practice? So a lot, a lot of times we can fall into this trap, saying, oh, "I need to get back to my my hut, my kuti in the forest, so I, that I, so that I can practice," or I need to get up to a Bayagiri monastery so I can practice. So I'm harping on about this because it's a very common, uh, common theme or a common perception that we can get. And if we can maybe look at that differently, using this foundation of practice, and this is where, you know, this mindfulness, if we can develop this this ability of, of being able to be mindful, no matter where we are, what situation we are. It was like this this afternoon, and we were up in the the monks' uh, building up halfway up the mountain. It was the fortnightly recitation of the monastic code, the, the Padimokha. And I was sitting there, and I was reflecting that, you know, the, the, the memory came up that, you know, 15 days ago I was at Amravati Monastery in England because I was there for some meetings, a lot of us elders had gathered, and it was a Patimoka day, so I was sitting there, 
for the Padimokam. Same words, same chanting at the beginning, same chanting at the end, and then one monk, you know, reciting the the 227 training rules. Monk checking ancient tradition. Two, 14 days before that, I was at Chitter's Monastery where I live. Same thing. So there was awareness, there was the content in awareness was pretty much the same, same words, same chanting, same seating arrangement. Mindfulness was the same. I was mindful of, of these these things, different room, different country, different monastery. So the conditions change around us. The conditions change. But if we can keep the fundamentals, so my our, my training precepts, whether I was at Chithurst, or Amravati, or Abhayagiri, or I'm, whether I'm at my mother's home, uh, same. Mindfulness, same. And be I'm just mindful of different things. Here, mindfulness of uh, it's, uh, being in a monastery, the things, different things that come up, going alms around this morning. Being in my mother's home, mindful of, oh, 93-year-old mother, brother taking care of her, how can I help? Mindful of the feelings, the emotions that arise by seeing somebody in the aging process. How does that feel when we see our mother moving slowly, slower than last time I saw her? Perceptions of that. Perceptions of, of what what they're going through in their life. Mm. So mindfulness. Dhamma practice didn't change. And conditions changed. Setting changed. Certain perceptions came up that are pleasant, some were unpleasant. I don't like seeing my mother in pain. <laughs> Having her, you know, difficult for her to get out of her chair and to you know, shuffle to the kitchen. Yeah, it doesn't bring up happiness. But can we be okay? Can we be at peace with what perceptions come to the mind? Do I? Do we need to to be stressed and do we need to suffer? Do I have to be here to the delight of being? in the monastery to be with with uh, my my brother monks uh, seeing lay friends from that I've known for years seeing faces uh, turn up at the monastery turn up out on alms round the delight of that so delightful things arise and cease in in mind in our mindfulness our consciousness our awareness unpleasant things arise when i heard the news of of dear daniel yeah, it's a pain, pain arising and ceasing in consciousness. Now this might sound dry. It's not dry. We have hearts, we're human, we're sense beings. We've got six senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and intellect. And for those of us who still have all of those faculties f functioning, 
we're going to have this incredible array of things coming into consciousness. So when we read about the Buddha's enlightenment, he, he didn't go blind, he didn't go deaf. His brain didn't shut down, he didn't stop thinking. Fully functioning, 45 years, wandering, teaching, engaging. Pleasant things came his way, unpleasant things came his way. And he kept teaching, you know, kept teaching us so that we can be aware and mindful and discerning all the time. In the monastery, out of the monastery, down here in the cloister, up in the forest, on Pindabat, alms round, listening to Padimokha, always being aware of what we're feeling always being aware of what we're thinking, always developing this ability to not cling, to not grasp. Not grasp it, you know, all the things that we've read. Use what we've read, use what we've heard. Reflect, it's good. I mean, I was you know, really touched at you know, these daily, daily Q&As here, you know, people asking really good questions. It's good to ask questions. But to really reflect, you know, to really, okay. Not to get, make it complicated, not to figure it out, uh, you know, too much on an intellectual basis. Yes, as I mentioned earlier, we have to have enough intellectual understanding to apply these teachings because they've been handed down to us. These are words. And words need to be uh, deciphered and understood in the intellect, using the intellect. So use it. But the, the, the non-suffering, non-clinging, non-grasping, it's not intellectual. If it could be done intellectually, <laughs> that'd be pretty good if we could get a PhD in Nibbana. <laughs> Can't. Yeah, it's not the way it works. But using this via negativa, the, the way of, of, of uh, negation, yeah, it's frustrating that there's no description of, of or that, that I'm overly aware of, you know, something to describe so that we can expect, we can measure, you know, our, but it's usually, it's what's fallen away, it's what we've seen through, it's the, the non, non-anger, non-greed, non-delusion, non-confusion, non-grasping, non-suffering. What falls away? And as one of our, our elders once was asked, you know, the results, results of your practice after and it was decades and decades of practice. And the answer was uh, fewer and fewer obstacles. Fewer and fewer obstacles. Obstacles to peace. And I thought that was, it's not the only answer that obviously that can be given, but I thought that was a very interesting 
answer. Fewer things getting in the way to contentment, to peace, to well-being. So just to kind of wrap things up, you know, we all have this opportunity. There is this, this opportunity to to hear teachings, to reflect on teachings. And we've got choices. We've got choices and um, not everybody has these opportunities. But let's uh, use it. You, I encourage all of us to to use the foundational teachings to not not lose sight of them, not get not get uh, overly absorbed in in uh, comparing, uh, trying to figure things out, and getting caught in the things that that don't lead to um, don't lead to peace, don't lead to contentment. So I think that's enough for tonight. So.